Good morning, everybody. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. Uh, good morning. We kind of shifted up our order of service this morning. I threw an audible, but I felt the Lord, and I wanted to just dive in today. We've got a couple of uh, quick announcements coming up on July 5th. That's not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. We'll have morning prayer. And we meet here the first Wednesday of every month in the tent at 6.30 a.m. I said a.m. Some of us didn't even know there was a 6.30 a.m. It's there. And uh, we meet in the tent, and God always meets us in such a beautiful and precious way. And we are interceding and praying. I want to just give you a testimony. A few weeks ago, God's done so many incredible things through intercession and prayer in these morning prayer times. And a few weeks ago... We were, a few months ago, we were praying and it just came out in a moment of intercession. We began to, to pray against some, some establishments in our city that are actually witchcraft stores and uh, there was a coffee shop and, and it's not a secret. They're openly, hey, we sell, you know, stuff for you to be a witch and practice witchcraft. And, and it just came out in our spirit and we just began to intercede and pray that the Lord would bring revival or close those establishments down. And that evening, one of the stores that operated as a place of witchcraft uh, announced on their Instagram page that they were closing down. Come on. There is power in intercessory prayer when we partner with the heart of the Father. And so we want to invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, if you would like my notes, just text the word notes to 59090 and everything that's in front of me will be sent to you. Uh, welcome to Mercy Culture and welcome to the tent this morning. This is our temporary home while we remodel our permanent location right out those doors. Y'all, we're making progress. We're making progress and things are moving along quickly and we will be in there very soon. And we're so excited um, to see what God does when we get into the house of glory. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. I'm going to preach about this in just a moment, but I cannot stress enough the importance of this vision. You know, Mercy Culture, uh, we're not complicated. We're not complex. It's pretty simple. And we believe and we know that if you can get into the presence of the Lord and you can form an intimate and personal relationship with God and begin to hear the voice of God, that there's nothing you can't accomplish. There's nothing that you can't do and there's no way that you can fail if you can hear the voice of God because he is so much smarter than us. Many of, have you ever made a mistake? Oh yeah, I certainly have. If I bought that car and about six months later you said, why did I buy this car? Why did I buy this? As soon as that payment starts coming out, you say, wait a second. You know that old used car I had was really nice. I love that car. That's my favorite car. And you think, why did I do this? Some of y'all in the room married some folk and said, why did I do that? No, nobody that you're married to currently, but that has happened. But how many know that if we would go before the Father and ask Him, we wouldn't make those mistakes? Why? Because He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And oftentimes believers make these mistakes and step out of obedience to the will of the Father, not because they have a heart of rebellion, but because they don't have an ear tuned to the voice of the Lord. And often it comes simply because we don't have an intimate relationship with God. And part of that problem is because some of our church history, and some of us grew up in church that, that taught us either explicitly or implicitly that our relationship with the Lord must be centered around coming to church. And that if we needed to hear the voice of God, we had to get the man or woman of God to pray for us and give us a word. Or if we wanted to encounter the presence of God, we had to be at church and we had to show up. Listen, I'm a church boy at heart. I love the house of God. The Bible teaches us not to forsake the assembling of the brethren. It is part of the vision of mercy culture, but that alone will not sustain you. You see, you must have a relationship with the Father and walk with him in the cool of the day. 
and learn to hear his voice and be led and guided and directed by him. And we want to help you to discover how you best connect with God. We want to help to disciple you. And we do that through a process called MC Connect. And it is the first step of becoming a part of Mercy Culture Church. But beyond that, and more importantly, it's the way we disciple you into daily encounters with the Lord. So if you want more information about that, text the word CONNECT to 59090. We say this a lot. Don't be a six-month visitor. Ask the Lord. Step in. Right, Abe? (laughs) Ask the Lord. When you hear a word from God, step out. Obey the voice of the Father. And... uh, and become connected to the body of Christ. So if you want more information, like I said, text connect to 59090. All right, let's open up our word this morning to Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. I don't know where I, why I wear that watch in this hot tent. You just swell up. All right, Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. It says, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the, the ford of Japhok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun arose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Come to tell you this morning that we determine whether we give glory to God and he determines how it's manifested in our lives. The title of my message this morning is Stolen Glory. So you know the, the word of the year over our house is the word dunamis, the power to strengthen and fortify. Dunamis is a Greek word that simply means power. It is translated throughout the New Testament. We hear about the dunamis power of God being given to us through the Holy Spirit. It is the power to strengthen and fortify our lives. It is the year that dunamis goes from on us to in us. This is the year that we will strengthen and fortify our personal lives, strengthen and fortify your business through the dunamis power of God, your family, and Mercy Culture Waco. We, the Lord has really been speaking to me as we are ramping up to head into the building. We're heading into this building, and those of you that have been with us and been persevering, we've been sweating in this tent, praise the Lord. Some of y'all are wiping it away right now. We've been sweating. We've been persevering. We've been pushing through. And we are coming up on the end of this journey in the tent. And yeah, it's been an amazing time with the Lord. But I feel the urgency of the Spirit of God saying strengthen and fortify. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen, and you've probably experienced the same thing, just being out. You're wearing a Mercy Culture shirt. You mentioned something about church. They go, when are you guys getting in that building? I had a group of people around me at a coffee shop the other day like, y'all in that building yet? I had one lady tell me, she goes, I pray for you every day. I drive by that church. I pray. I speak the Lord. The Lord says he's redigging ancient wells. She goes, I'm going to come and visit. She said, not till you get in that building though. She said, I'm not coming to the tent now. But as soon as you get in that building, I'm going to come and visit. I said, well, praise God, sister. Let's go. But I tell you that to say there are people coming. I'm going to look at your neighbor and say they're coming. And the church will grow simply because we got a building. 
And I'm going to talk about church growth in a minute and the, the, the philosophy of mercy culture and what God's called us to. But just know this, people will come just because we got into a building. And my question is, will we be prepared to steward them well? Ask yourself that question. Am I prepared to steward what's coming? Not only as a church, but in your own life. If you've been asking God to bless you, asking God to pour out his favor, every Sunday we end service with our benediction. Lord, teach us your ways that we may know you and find favor. We pray, we seek the Lord, we have daily encounters. God, teach us your ways that we may know you and find favor. And then sometimes we get the favor of the Lord and we are not strengthened and fortified enough to steward God's favor. And it flows through our hands. It just comes and lands in empty pockets. And flows right back out. Authority, strength, power, finances, God-given ideas, people just flow through empty pockets. Why? Because we haven't been strengthened and fortified enough to steward the word of the Lord. And listen, as a church, who cares if we fill that building with people and his presence isn't there? Moses said it. Moses, a man who walked with God. The Bible says that he speaks to God like a man speaks to his friends. And he cried out to the Lord, please show me your glory. Moses knew we can't make it without the glory, without the presence of the Lord. Church family, you can't make it without his presence. You can't make it without his glory. I don't want to come and preach doom and gloom, but we're living in dark times. The world is crazy. Just lost its mind. We're living in a time of confusion just swirling around us. It's difficult enough for us as grown adults to, to navigate the confusion of the world, much less our children who are thrust into this world and surrounded by confusion day and night. And if you don't have the presence of God, you're not going to make it. We need his glory. We need his presence. Back on December 9th, Pastor Matt Wakefield, one of the pastors at Mercy Culture in Fort Worth, he's a prophet of God, a true prophet of the Lord. And he sent me a text. He said, I've been praying. I heard the voice of the Lord say that Mercy Culture Waco would go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory. Folks, that means that we are going from a place of meeting with God to a place of sustained glory of God. And when I heard that word, I had two feelings. The first was joy and the second was fear. I had the joy of the Lord, and then I had the fear of the Lord. Why? Because I know what glory means. You can't play around with the glory of God. You see, what happened when God's glory fell in the word? People were healed, and blinded eyes were open, and lives were restored, and addictions were broke off of people, and people were raised from the dead, and demons were cast out, and some people dropped dead because they lied to God, and Sin was revealed and what was secret became public. The foundations of buildings shook and you don't play with the glory of God. So when he gave me that word, I had the joy of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you better prepare to steward the glory. We must be prepared to be a house of glory. So we've got to decide and establish what is the win for the church. What is it that we consider a win? Is it packing a place out with people? Is it great music? Is it unbelievable talent? Is it an orator that can ignite your emotions? What is the win for the church? And then when we figure out what the win is, we work our way backwards. But we have to allow the scriptures to determine the win, not the latest, greatest church planning standards. You see, the church doesn't exist foundationally for people. The church is a people that exists for Jesus. 
And if anything, being in this tent, listen, y'all, when we first heard the Lord say, move into a tent, <laughs> we had different plans. And I heard the voice of God, through, and it wasn't just through me, but many people confirmed it. We heard the voice of the Lord said, go and take, uh, take possession of the land. I want you to be on that land. I want you to establish a place. My wife had been prophesying without even knowing it and been talking about a tent and seeing Mercy Culture Waco as a tent. And then somebody met, one of our elders met me in the hallway and he's like, have you thought about a tent? Just putting a tent up on our parking lot? And I was like, oh my. yes, we have thought about that. And we just organized this and got a tent set up and figured stuff out and started doing it. But if we had known when we set this tent up for just a few weeks, that we would be here a year later, I don't know that we would have done it. Somebody see me this last week goes, are y'all still in that tent? I just walked off. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that we would have, we would have done if we would have known. You see, the putting up a tent in the middle, when we moved in here in May, at the end of May, it's not exactly you know, beautiful in Texas in the summertime right? It's not exactly the season. You just want to go for a walk. The other day, me and Nikki were out. It's about 187 degrees, 98% humidity. We're walking from the restaurant to the car. I thought I was going to die. It's about eight feet. You're just, <laughs> can I make it? We get in the car. And I said, you want to go for a walk, darling? We just bust out laughing. This is not the time, right? This is not the way you grow a church, I promise you this is not what the church planning experts would tell us to do. But we have to ask the Lord, what do you want? You ask the Lord, what do you want in every aspect? That's how you get people is by accident. You get people in this atmosphere, in this pursuit with the Lord, just as a byproduct of pleasing the Father. That's how you get the favor of the Lord on your life. You're not just looking for what's the best strategy for my business. What's the best strategy for my children? How can I strategize and how many books can I read? I love leadership books and I love strategy. And on this, Anybody ever taken strength finders? When, you, when I take strength finders, my number one strength is strategist. And I look down and I love all of that. And the Lord has been killing that in me. It's a gift from God that has to die. He'll revive it. When he needs it, and then it dies, and then he revives, and then it dies. It's the Christian walk. And he's saying, what pleases my heart? You see, the people should not determine what food they receive. God determines that. But in so many places, in so many churches, in the modern Western American church, what we do is we send out surveys, and we ask people, what do you want to be taught about? What time do you want service to be in? What temperature should we set the building at? And we find out all of the ways that are going to please the heart of people and we forget to please the heart of the Father. We ask ourselves, what do we want to be fed in his house? And we treat God like a toddler and we make his plate and we lay it down in front of him and we say, God, you'll eat what I put in front of you and you'll like it. Instead of taking a moment and saying, Lord, what's on your heart? The church is designed, is built, its intention is to minister to the heart of the Father. That's why we're here. And when you minister to the heart of the Father, the heart of the people will be ministered to. See, the church must have a singular focus. His focus must be the presence of the Lord. In Mercy Culture, we have part of our culture, our unique characteristics. These are five things that we prayed and asked the Lord. Lord, why did you call Mercy Culture to existence? And there are many wonderful, amazing churches. What have you called us to do? And God spoke these five unique characteristics. And one of them is that we are a presence-driven church. And we put it this way. We're not built around any person or ministry. We are built around the presence of God. We consistently ask God for his mind and his heart for his house. This is nothing new. We see in Isaiah chapter 57 beginning in verse 8. 
God says to the children of Israel, you have put pagan symbols on your doorposts and behind your doors. You have left me and climbed into bed with these detestable gods. You have committed yourselves to them. You love to look at their naked bodies. You have gone to Moloch with olive oil and many perfumes, sending your agents far and wide, even to the world of the dead. You grew weary in your search, but you never gave up. Desire gave you renewed strength, and you did not grow weary. Another translation puts it this way. You have wearied yourself with a multitude of ways. You've wearied yourself with the multitude of your ways. When I read that translation, it just jumped in my spirit. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have we, as the Western church, wearied ourselves with the multitude of our ways. We become so distracted and so focused on anything and everything but the presence of the Lord. We've worn out our staff and our serve team just trying to cram 50 more people into the building. How can we market and what can we do? And we dropped 50,000 eggs last year from a helicopter. We got to drop 75,000 eggs this year. And we had Bobo the clown and Fufu the elephant at the party last year. And now we got to have four clowns and three elephants and a camel this year. And we got to work ourselves into exhaustion, into weariness with the multitude of our ways. Instead of just stopping and saying, Lord, what is your heart? Where are you? Where is the pleasure of God? What do you want? Listen, if the Lord says, I want you to drop eggs from a helicopter, we'll fire it up. Let's go. I'm not preaching against that. What I'm saying is let's bring awareness to ourselves. Am I wearying myself with a multitude of ways? Do I think that my strength comes from my efforts? Or do I recognize that my strength is found in the acknowledgement of my weakness and my need for the Father? Am I asking the Lord what he wants? When you're going and looking at a house, you got your real estate agent, you're going from place to place, are you asking the Lord what he wants? When you're going to buy a new car, and you look at your books and you're saying, what can I afford and how much should my payment be and what should it, did you ever stop and say, Father, this all belongs to you. What do you want? When you're parenting your children, you begin to put upon them what you want for their lives. Did you ever stop and ask the Father, Lord, what do you want? Am I wearying myself with a multitude of ways? Am I creating all of these paths and things and then gathering them together and say, Lord, here's my plan. Would you bless it? Or do I just stop and say, Lord, I won't move until you tell me where to go. I'm not developing a plan and asking the Lord to bless it. I'm asking for his heart and then I'm walking in his favor. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 3. teaches us that we need to allow the Bible to determine how his house is built. He says, break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved, carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. Say, completely erase the names of their gods. I want you to remember this later. He goes on to say, do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship. He himself will from among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. See, God only fills the houses that he designs. If you're wondering sometimes why, why my business feels devoid of the presence of God, 
Why does this relationship that I just entered into, this business relationship, this dating relationship I want to enter into, why does it feel devoid of the presence of God? Sometimes God is standing back and saying, it's not my house, it's yours. I don't have any authority here. You're the architect, you're the builder, you laid the foundation, you put on the roof, you determine how it's blessed. I've been around in church planting and I've been part of church planting organizations and there's this obsession, thank you, there's this obsession with balance. I heard somebody say once, sitting down in one of these meetings, like, you know, studies show We want to train you about church growth, and studies show that people only like to sing for 27 minutes. I'm not making this up. This really happened. Studies show people like to sing for only 27 minutes, and so you really need to make sure that your worship service is 27 minutes long. Nikki and I were worship pastors for 20 years before we became lead pastors, and we were at a church serving and on staff, and the pastor's like, I, I want to really go all in, and we're going to do one Wednesday night a month. We're going to call it Encounter Night, and we're going to go all in, and we're going to experience the presence of God. And instead of 23 minutes of worship, we're going to have 25 minutes of worship. You would think I'm speaking hy- hyperbolically. I'm not. That actually happened. We're going to worship God for 25 minutes. Look, we've developed a plan. We're going to put it in. People have schedules and things, and we don't want to offend people. And it's Wednesday night, and what if they got to get up and go to school the next morning? And we, What if you leave? Oh, God. What if somebody leaves because they only like to sing for 27 minutes, and we sang for 29 minutes, and then they don't come back to church? And I'm so weary from my multitude of ways. Instead of, Lord, what do you want to do? And I don't care. Ah. I was at a church planning seminar, another one. The man got up, pastors one of the most successful churches in the nation, and he said, here's what you need to do, pastors. You need to do what we've done at our church and develop a system so dialed in that when I turn this dial, I know what will happen. I said, Holy Spirit, in that moment, I said, I never, ever want to be that balanced. You see, we've got a church growth experts that are obsessed with balance. They tell us things like, don't be super spiritual, as opposed to what? Being super fleshly? Walking on water in the middle of a storm didn't seem very balanced. And death on a cross is not super balanced. And Standing up in front of a crowd of people and say, you've got to die to yourself every day doesn't seem very balanced. And casting out demons is not real balanced. Never saw a demon cast out and walked out. You know, that's the most balanced exorcism I have ever seen in my life. We got a world, maybe we are what we're calling balanced, the kingdom calls the fear of man. You see, we can't walk down the street in this world without being accosted with every flag and symbol of fleshly desires and man's identity being shoved in our faces every place and everywhere that you turn. Yet the world is screaming at the church to be balanced in our worship to the God and the king of the universe. My response to that is very simply no. Listen, if he didn't come, it's not a success. The glory is the standard in this house, period. The glory of, the God, of God should be the standard for your house. Success is his glory. So what is the glory of God? What does that mean? The Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. First, we must recognize that the glory is something that will be and can be seen. Secondly, the word glory is an abstract word. If we look at how this word is paralleled with other words in poetical passages of the Bible, we can discover the original concrete meaning of this word. In Psalm 3.3, the kavod of Elohim, or God, is paralleled with his shield. In Job 29.20, Job's kavod, or glory, is paralleled with his bow. In Psalm 24.8, we read, who is the king of the kavod? 
who is the king of glory. Yahweh is strong and mighty. Yahweh is mighty in battle. The original concrete meaning of kavod is battle armaments. And the meaning armament fits with the literal meaning of the root word of kavod, which is heavy. See, the armaments are the heavy weapons and defenses of our battle. In Exodus 16, 7, it says this, Israel will see the armament, the glory of God, the one who has done battle for them with the Egyptians. The glory of God literally translated means the the heavy weaponry of the Lord. And when we're faced with opportunities to give him glory or to keep it for ourselves, to steal the glory, we are faced with an opportunity to allow the heaven, the heavy, heavenly weaponry to fight for us or to pick up that responsibility ourselves. Another way to put it is the glory of God is when the invisible qualities And attributes of God become visible. It's when his character is made visible for us to see. The Lord never shares his glory. I want to give you a warning this morning. When we still steal his glory, we lose his protection. When we steal the glory, we take away the heavy armaments of God and we pick up the requirement to protect ourselves. There is no glory in mixture. Ephesians 5.11, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, we, many people know the first part of that verse to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but there's a second part. We must expose them and be aware when you expose them, people will accuse you of being unchristlike. And I would tell you that it is unchristlike to allow the fellowship and unfruitful works of darkness to remain hidden. You see, the glory of God looks like something. It shakes foundations. It produces change. If there is no change, it's not the glory, it's emotion. But we in the modern American church have confused talent for glory. We've confused ability for anointing. We've confused emotional response for the glory of God. But if it doesn't produce change, it's not the glory. Acts chapter 4 verse 30 said, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The name of your holy servant Jesus. What does that mean? It's the revealing of the identity of Jesus. Verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The place was shaken. When the glory of God comes, the place is shaken. Your very foundations are shaken. Your core is shaken. Everything that can be shaken is shaken in the glory. The glory of God is the presence of Jesus. When we're praying for healing, what are we asking for? We're asking for the glory of God. When we're praying for the restoration of marriages, what are we asking for? For the manifestation of the glory of God. We see it in the Bible when Jesus met the blind man and he spit in the dirt and he made mud and he rubbed it on his eyes. It wasn't the mud that healed his eyes. It was the presence of Jesus. When Paul walked by the lame man and he said, hey, can you give me some money? And Paul said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I thee. Take up thy bed and walk. It wasn't Paul that healed him. It was the glory of God. It was the presence of Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus that had been deposited in the man of Paul. 
I'm going to give you a warning. Don't use the blessing of God and then move on. Don't steal the glory of the Lord. In Luke chapter 17, we see this. Jesus is approached by 10 lepers. They are on the outcast of society. They can't even walk through the streets without screaming, unclean, unclean. They have a death sentence. They are stricken with leprosy. There is no treatment. There is no cure. They're going to die. And Jesus speaks a word and heals all 10 of them. They go away and only one returns. And he returns to give him praise. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Why have they not come back to give me glory? What is he saying? They have stolen my glory. I'm going to say it again. We decide if God gets the glory. And he decides how it's manifested in our lives. If we steal the glory, we take the responsibility of producing the fruit of glory. Can you heal? Can you deliver? Can you set free? You see, we've seen this played out time and time again throughout revival history. There's been amazing revivals that have happened all over the nation and around the world. And it seems like this pattern continues to happen over and over again. God will pour out his spirit on a people and then somebody gets the idea that it's because of them. And a person or a people, instead of giving the glory back to God, begin to steal the glory for themselves. And it's a temptation for all of us. Somebody compliments your children. It's your temptation to steal the glory. When God begins to move in your life financially and bless you, it's a temptation to steal the glory. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to tell you. The temptation that I faced was just a few weeks ago. We've been contending in this place that this was a tent of miracles. Pastor Landon came and preached from Fort Worth a few months ago, and he said, have we named the tent yet? This is the tent of miracles, and he prophesied it, and we've been contending for that word. We've been stewarding that prophetic word, and we've seen miracles break out, and then it was marked women's conference. And Whitney, one of our spiritual daughters, the daughter of this house, and spiritual daughter of mine and Nikki's we've known her basically her whole life and she's there and God miraculously heals her eye in a moment it was an unbelievable moment God heals her eye and they do a video and it it goes kind of viral and there are tens of thousands of views and everybody's like man marked conference must have been amazing and I have found this moment where I'm watching it and I'm like well wait a second we're the tent of miracles why didn't it happen in the tent? This is ugly. This is all right. I don't care. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> like, Lord, we've been contending. She's a daughter. It's just some small part in my flesh began to be irritated. And I really just sort of put it to the side and didn't think much about it. And I was preparing for this message this week. And I heard another pastor give her testimony. And she said that the Holy Spirit asked her in a moment, did you want the glory from that moment? And she had to be honest and say yes. And I felt the Holy Spirit ask me that same question. He reminded me of that moment. He said, Les, did you want the glory? I had to stop and be honest with myself. Yeah, I kind of did. You got to ask yourself that question. Do you want the glory? But you see, when we release and we give him the glory, he releases the fruit of glory. Exodus 33:18, Moses says, please show me your glory. And then God responds to him. And he responds like this. He says two things. I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will do what? Proclaim before you my name. So God responds to Moses' request, begging, please show me your glory by showing Moses his goodness and by proclaiming his name. 
What did he do? He responds by making his invisible qualities visible. He responds by revealing his identity. What is a name? A name is the revealing of one's identity. But how? How does God reveal his name and his identity? Let's go to Genesis chapter 16. This is the story of Hagar. It's one of the most interesting. Anybody that thinks the Bible is boring, you just haven't read it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. It's the most, one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. God has spoken to Moses and, I'm sorry, to Abraham and Sarai. And he said to them, I'm going to give you a child and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And they began believing and nothing happens and they're both old. And Sarai says, look, I'm not going to have no babies and I, I, I'm not getting pregnant. Moses, here's my beautiful young servant girl, Hagar. I want you to take her, sleep with her, impregnate her, and this will be our child. And then shockingly, no one could see this coming, Sarai became jealous of Hagar. We're all shocked, right? And she just began to mistreat her. In verse 6, it says, Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you wish. Do to her as you please. Abraham was basically saying, Look, woman, y'all work it out. Do whatever you want. I'm not dealing with it. And then Sarai, the Bible says, dealt harshly with her. And Hagar fled from her. So you got this poor servant woman who's just doing what she's been told to do. She is serving her master faithfully. Her master plucks her out, gives her, can you imagine? Says, here's my husband, he's gonna sleep with you, he's gonna impregnate you, then we're gonna take your baby as our own. And then she gets mad at her. And so Hagar runs into the wilderness and she's trying to escape and the Bible says that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And so Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Hagar named the Lord. She said, you are the God of seeing. In Hebrew, she said, you are El Roy. It means the God who sees me. Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. What did Hagar do? She gave God the glory. She named the father. She spoke who he was. She revealed the identity of God. She named him. I find it interesting that when Moses was in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush, and God spoke to him through that bush and told him what to do. You're going to go and you're going to complete this impossible task. And Moses said, who am I to say that sent me? And what does God say? He says, tell them I am. I am sent you. I am what? I am whatever you say I am. If you're in the midst of your sickness and you pick up sickness and disease and you steal the glory from the Lord, that's what he'll be for you. Or if you stop and say the I am is my healer, you give him glory. If you are in the midst of a needy moment and you stop and go, what am I going to do? Am I the provider? Am I the one that will steal the opportunity of glory from the Lord? Or will I stop and say, Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. Jehovah Rapha, he is our healer. When the world is against me and rumors are swirling around me, will I pick up the banner? Will I step into the court of the accuser of the brethren and defend myself? Or will I stop and say, ah, oh, Jehovah Nisi, you are our banner. 
when I'm walking through the storms of life and nothing seems to be going my way and the world is spinning around me, will I steal the glory of God or will I stop and say, ah, Jehovah Shalom, you are our peace. When I'm lost and I can't find my way, do I stop and say, Jehovah Ra, our shepherd? When I'm walking in unrighteousness and sin and I can't seem to shake it, will I pick up shame and steal the glory? Or will I say, Jehovah Sitkanu, you are my righteousness? When I feel lost and alone, will I say, Jehovah Shama, the Lord is here? Adonai, the Lord is sovereign. Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. Elohim, the mighty one. El Elyon, God most high. El Shaddai, God almighty. Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. But how are you going to give God the glory for being, bringing you through, for doing that miracle, for performing the impossible if you never face the impossible? If you never need to be brought through, if you're never lost, how will you proclaim that you've been found? If you were never blind, how will you say, as in John chapter 9, all I know is I was once blind, but now I see. How will you know his grace is amazing if you never need it? How do you give God glory without needing his glory? I want to tell you this morning that everything you face is an opportunity for you to decide. Am I going to steal the glory or am I going to name the I am? Am I going to reveal the identity of God? One of our dear sisters who attends Mercy Culture in Fort Worth, Bosa, she has been diagnosed with a severe and aggressive form of cancer that is spreading through her body at an incredibly rapid pace. And I watched her receive the diagnosis and immediately say, oh, he is the God who healeth me. They said to her, you need this, and you need this, and you need this, and you need this. And she didn't give the glory to the doctors. She didn't give the glory to chemotherapy. She didn't give the glory to herself. She didn't say, I'm not okay. She said, you are Jehovah. You see, the immature Christian can shout when they get the raise. The immature Christian gives God praise when their body's working properly and they got that promotion that they were up for and truly deserved. And when those doors open, but the mature Christian, when they get turned down for the job they know they should have got, says, oh, you are my provider. Oh, I will not steal your glory, but I recognize every single thing I face is not an obstacle, it's a doorway. It's not an obstacle stopping me. It's a door for the glory to flow into my life. Maybe what you're going through isn't God leaving you alone in the wilderness. Maybe it's him setting you up for the revealing of Elroy, the God who sees you. You see, we would never know he's the God who sees us if Hagar hadn't been alone in the wilderness. We'd have never known he was the God who heals if we were never sick. Maybe it's him fashioning a doorway for his glory to enter your life. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. The glory of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because you have the opportunity to reveal the identity that he is the God that comforts. Blessed are the meek. Why? Because in your weakness he is made strong and you shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall see mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who can say, persecute me? Ah! 
Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. What is Jesus saying? Don't steal the glory. For your reward is great in heaven, for, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or do we get persecuted and then wear our persecution like a badge of honor? Do we pick up our persecution and wear it as a victimhood badge? Ah, oh, I've been persecuted. Ah, oh. listen, if victimhood wasn't attractive, we wouldn't have so many of them. There's something attractive about being a victim. You picking it up and wearing it. You taking that opportunity when they lied about you, when they cursed you, when your family said you're crazy. Your family said, you're going to do what? You're going to sell your house? Some of you picked up and moved to Waco. What? Waco? Where is even Waco? Are you going to, well, I'm just persecuted all, but I'm just doing it for Jesus. No, you're not. You're lying to yourself first and everybody else second. I'm going to stop and say, oh, I count it all joy. Oh, I count it all joy. Oh, I give you glory. I give you glory. I give you glory. Second Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Come on, band. For you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about what? My weaknesses, so that Christ's power, his glory, his weight may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Ah, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I told you earlier to remember Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 3. God says, break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. Erase what? The identities of their gods. Watch this, watch this. Erase what? The glory that you're giving to these false gods. You see, you've stopped revealing my glory and you started revealing their glory. We've stolen it. And we begin to proclaim the false gods, the names of self-sufficiency. We begin to give glory and proclaim the name of ambition. We begin to give glory and proclaim the name of self-righteousness. He's not my righteousness. I'm righteous. Oh, look at all the things that I've done and look at how great I've been. And we give glory to pride. We begin to proclaim the name of the false god. I don't need anything the cowardly false god that's afraid to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Begin to give glory to the fear of man and say things like, I want to be like everybody, liked by everybody. What am I doing? I'm stealing the glory of God. And I'm giving it to the false gods of the world. You see, in the world, you get glory by being the best, being the GOAT, the best basketball player, the fastest time in the race, by working your way up the corporate ladder, getting the corner office, earning the most money by showing your strengths and never acknowledging your weaknesses. But in the kingdom, he gets the glory by being the least. He gets the glory when we shout when we ought to be Weeping. Ah. He gets the glory when we say, I'm going to take the perspective of heaven. You are Elroy, the God who sees me. See me, Lord. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful.
thankful that you allowed me to be alone in this wilderness or I would have never seen this part of your identity. Mm. Thank you, King Jesus, that you have seen it fit to allow me to drink from your cup of suffering. Go back to our story in Genesis 32, beginning in verse 27. The Lord said to him, what is your name? He responded, my name is Jacob, which means trickster. See, Jacob didn't have a great reputation. His name was trickster. His name was basically, you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a phony, you two-time and you're two-faced, you're a trickster. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For we have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him what? Please tell me your name. He said, please reveal to me your identity. Please show me your glory. And God responded, why is it that you asked my name? He wouldn't tell him. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. What did Jacob do? He gave God the glory. He revealed a new aspect of the Lord. You see, up until this point, no one had seen God face to face. He said, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Bible even says that with Moses, that God held his hand over him and allowed his goodness to pass in front of him because nobody can see the face of God and live. But Jacob revealed a new identity of the Lord. God didn't even name himself. He waited for Jacob to reveal his identity. He waited for Jacob to give him glory, to call him Peniel, the God who I see face to face and live. You see, Jacob wrestled with God, and then God touched his hip. God did what? He revealed his weakness. When he touched his hip, he opened a door for glory. He opened a pathway for glory. He revealed his weakness instead of Jacob saying, how dare you do that and you hurt me and I don't like anybody touching me there. That's my weak spot. Get your hands off of me, God. Don't look there. He said, oh, you are the God who I see face to face and live. I'll give you glory in my weakness. And Jacob in his weakness reveals the identity of God. Jacob gives God the glory by calling him what he had never been called before. The God who I have seen face to face. He exposed a new aspect of God's character and identity. And Jacob didn't know that when he gave God glory, when he said, you are the God who I see face to face, he didn't know how that glory would be manifested. Jacob didn't know that the glory he gave to God, the revealing of this new aspect of his identity that no one had ever seen before would lead to the revealing of Jacob's new identity. He didn't know that God would change his name from trickster to Israel, the father of his chosen people. He had no idea that him giving God glory would lead to the birthing of God's chosen people. He had no idea that when he would reveal the identity of the Lord as the God that sees me face to face, that through his line, he would birth Joseph. And through Joseph's lineage, he would birth David. And through the lineage of David, he would birth Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Jacob. 
struggle with God, even when God is the one that revealed his weakness, Jacob said, you are Peniel, the God I see face to face. I could just see the Lord. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You open a door. Oh, you open the door. Oh, you open the door. Now I can burst through it. Oh, you open the door. Now I can change your name and your future. And you open the door and now I can birth a people who will introduce me to the world. You open a door and now I can birth a man who will birth a man who will birth the savior of the world. Oh, you gave me glory. Every eye closed in this place. Come on, just begin to tell the Lord. Ask him, where have I stolen your glory? Where have I touched your glory? Where have I picked up the responsibility for myself? Where did you open a door for your glory to come bursting into my life? And I shut it behind you and locked it. Show us your glory. Come on, just begin to cry out to him. Some of you need to run, not walk to the altar. Some of you need to fall to your face right where you are. Some of you stand. But do something in his presence. Come on, begin to give God the glory. God, we give you the glory. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are Jehovah Shalom. You are my defender. You are the peace in the midst of my storm. You are my banner. You are the God who sees me. Lord, I repent for stealing your glory. Come on. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent for stealing your glory. God, I give it to you. Lord, I give you glory and you determine how it'll be manifest in my life. Come on, somebody just give him glory. 